This is Dr. Kate Eckert with the Form, Function, and Flow Lab podcast. I'm a chiropractor, yoga instructor, anatomy junkie, and movement educator. And I am looking forward to exposing you to all sorts of ways that you can prehab your body to avoid injury and maintain those hobbies, activities, sports that you love to do. And we'll also be focusing a lot on the pregnant and postpartum journey and making sure that you can return to those activities that you love or even keep doing them while you're pregnant. All right. So this is Dr. Kate and I am here today with Rin Cap, and she is actually from my area. So I've met her in my hometown and she has moved on to Philadelphia and is doing really cool things in the therapy space. And I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. Um, so like you said, I am in the therapy space, mental health therapy. I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. So I can see folks all across Pennsylvania on telehealth. One of the cool things about mental health therapy is that it's a low touch field. So it uh, pairs really well with uh, virtual telehealth. Um, and I have a, a couple of different specialties. I work with insomnia, trouble sleeping, waking up too early, waking up in the night, that kind of thing. Uh, LGBTQ and folks either with disabilities or chronic illness or some sort of body-mind difference. So maybe low vision, hearing loss, that kind of thing. Nice. And um, you also do the uh, sign language as well, correct? with your with your clients if they need it do what is that you also do sign language with your clients if needed that's right right. yeah yeah so i'm conversational in american sign language um so i would refer out if anybody is absolutely fluent native sign language user but a lot of folks um grew up using it a little bit and also speaking and listening so yes Yes, yeah, as well. Thanks for uh, bringing that up. Yeah, nice. And I think a lot of times with, I know for myself, since I am not in, I'm not in the therapist space, you know, people think of counselors and therapists and we kind of get muddied with like what your credentials are. But as I was reading through your bio, you have a long list of summa cum laude graduations from you know, you have your master's, you have your bachelor's and all of those things. So, um, in, yeah. you know, I know there are bunches of different uh, certifications that people can have to counsel people. So do you want to give like a brief, like what your venue is and how you got certified with different things? Yeah, that's a great and you are so right. It, it does get confusing. And sometimes people use the word therapist when they're not a therapist. Um, like particularly in the finance space, I see people saying like, I'm a financial therapist, but they're not. So it's licensed at the state level. Uh, so in Pennsylvania, you're a licensed professional counselor, a clinical social worker, or a marriage and family therapist. 
Um, you could also be a psychologist, so that's a whole different thing. But all those folks can use the word therapist. And um, in order to do that in Pennsylvania, you have to complete an undergraduate degree in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, and then a master's degree as well as 3,000 hours of supervised experience. So <laughs> it's quite a lot. Yeah, quite a lot of uh, supervised experience. And, um, and then you can be licensed in the state of Pennsylvania. So all of that coursework has to be related to counseling um, and social work. So um, I've taken statistics, counseling strategies, theory, all of this kind of stuff. And then every year we have to do 30, uh, 30 hours of continuing education. So um, we need to be staying up on the latest information. So um, yeah, that's the background of being a therapist and all of that you, that you need to do. And you can always ask folks, if you're interested in starting work with someone, you can ask them what are your credentials and um, they're really required to bring that up as well. So you should be able to see on the website or on some other, um, yeah, some other part of their office, their credentials mm -hmm. and license. Yeah, because I feel like in today's day and age with social media and everything, you see lots of people who put their question out there and say that they're a therapist, but I don't necessarily think that they are by any means a licensed by the state kind of therapist with all of the schooling behind it. I think people just use right. that and just put a word before like sex therapist or food therapist or, you know what I mean? It, it can be... Mm -hmm really I think it devalues the word when you put so many 3,000 extra hours past your master's into it but right right there's a lot of um coaching like life coaching um I think that I see that more and more and um it's really important to be careful because you can get into big trouble for putting therapists next to your name if you don't have that um qualification there's other therapists too, like physical therapy, massage therapy. But if we're talking about mental health therapists, um, yeah, you want to make sure you have that. But I, I see that too. Uh, popcorn therapists, I don't know. <laughs> and sometimes it's to be silly. Yeah. Yes. Well, the first thing that Rin and I had touched on was her work with um, uh, insomnia. And for my self and my patients that is like really piqued my interest because from the physical aspect of people's health I can't get people fully healed if they're not getting adequate sleep that's when we rest that's when we restore that's when we have you know our growth hormone works that's all these different physiological things happen when we're sleeping to make you heal and if you're not getting it it's going to be a huge stumbling block. So, and I'm not good at getting people better sleep. <laughs> I mean, it pain wise, if they're not sleeping because of pain, that can be helpful. But a lot of times pain, they've had it chronically, then it becomes uh, like a mental barrier too, because it, um, it becomes a totally all-consuming thing of their day and it gives them anxiety. It gives them, you know, 
depression, all sorts of things. So if you want to talk about your um, CBTI stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're so right. It has such a huge impact on our life, the quality and quantity of our sleep. Um, and treating sleep can impact so many areas. If you can improve your sleep, it can help with depression. There's a lot of research on that. It can help with all of the, the healing work that you're talking about. Um, it can really um, unblock a lot of uh, issues and, and let them heal on their own. So yeah, I love CBTI uh, because it's evidence-based. Even if you just Google C, like the letter C, B, G, I, um, it shows up with a ton of research um, that shows how effective it is. So that's what gets me excited about it because I love to see results. <laughs> I've run a group before uh, for it and just it was amazing seeing folks sleep better for the first time in a long time. Uh, and I'm running a group again. So I'm excited about that. But one of the things that can come up uh, is usually there's a precipitating event, having a kid, um, having a surgery, having some kind of chronic pain, maybe a shift work, we have to work overnight. And then there's the perpetuating factors. So we try to catch up on sleep, go to bed earlier. Um, all these sorts of things work in the short term, but in the long term, they can create insomnia. So um, a lot of what CBTI does is kind of undoing the um, perpetuating factors. Mm -hmm. And I can talk about some quick tips, but if you have had insomnia for a couple of months, it might take more than just a few quick tips. <laughs> Definitely. And I feel like most of my patients have struggled with it for years. And, you know, I always ask people yeah. if they're getting good sleep because it's really important for what I do. But a lot of times they just blow me off and say, oh, I'm just a bad sleeper. I've been a bad sleeper for years. And they just kind of have accepted it. And I don't think PCPs are equipped to deal with it either. And they tell their PCP, but really they only have the resource of medication to help with yeah. it. Right. Yeah. It, it can become, it can take on a life of its own. And if, if you find that your insomnia falls into a pattern, uh, so I try to go to bed like two hours to go to sleep. So I go to bed two hours ahead of when I think I'll fall asleep. And then I wake up about 1 a.m. and I'm having a glass of water. And then about two hours later, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, if it has a pattern like that, that's a really good sign that it's um, treatable because it's falling into this pattern where our brains are used to this sleep pattern. And it's, it's um, you can do something called sleep restriction and stimulus control to push the sleep back into a quality efficient sleep and then increase the quantity once you improve it. So what's happening is your brain's used to this routine of, okay, I'm gonna go to bed and then I'm gonna lie awake and think about what I have to do tomorrow and what I forgot to do today and all these scenarios. <laughs> and then I go to sleep and then it's time to wake up for water. Mm -hmm. uh, we get into these routines um, another way to think about it, we just had the time change. 
the daylight savings time. And a lot of people, it'll mess us up because, not because the clock's wrong, because a lot of our smartphones and Fitbits and all that update automatically, but because our internal clock doesn't just change like that. We get onto a routine. And so what CBTI does is it helps you reset your clock to oversimplify it. It helps you reset your clock into something that works for you where you're getting quality sleep at the quantity you need. Mm-hmm. That, that was a lot, but hopefully that makes sense. That makes sense. And that kind of, um, I got into Vedic meditation a year ago, and that's kind of how they see the meditation is it's a condensed period of really quality deep rest that is better mm. than just you know non-quality longer periods of resting like with white noise and all the other stuff going on around you yeah yeah I love that and one of the one of the things that people I think worry about when we talk about um, treating sleep, maybe a, a barrier is if, if the time that you're lying in bed awake is your me time, if it's the time that you're on your phone, if it's the time that you read, um, it can be really hard to give that up. Yeah. Or if your choosing time in the morning is your me time. Um, yeah, I, I would I wouldn't want to give that up. I'd say this is how it is and this is how I sleep. But what I like to emphasize is we're not uh, taking anything away. It's great to rest in the morning. It's great to rest at night. Um, so yeah, we're not taking anything away, but that can be a barrier sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so now on your website, I saw that you had like CBT versus CBTI, and I know you do the CBTI. Yeah. So what is the difference between those two? Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. So CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is a modality of therapy. Um, and that's also very evidence-based. So if there's a big umbrella of cognitive behavior therapy. CBTI is under it, but we're talking about sleep science and CBTI. We're talking about uh, sleep prescription, stimulus control. We're talking about really focusing on the sleep and then a little bit of thought, uh, cognitive restructuring or changing your thoughts. The broader CBT is uh, your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors looking at how they interact and um, how you can change your thoughts to change your feelings and your behaviors. So a quick, easy example, what does that all mean? Uh, a quick, easy example is if you're in the grocery store and you see somebody that you know and you wave to them and they have a weird look on their face and keep walking. There's a couple of different thoughts you could have to that. One is they hate my guts and I'm actually terrible. And <laughs> something I said six months ago must have made them mad. Uh, you could think, okay, they must not have seen me at all. They must be in their own head um, thinking about their grocery list and they remember something which was the, the facial expression. 
So the first thought of they hate me, you're going to feel like a lot of negative, uncomfortable feelings. And, um, and probably maybe avoid the person, maybe confront them. It's going to affect your behavior versus, okay, they must have not seen me or had something on their mind. You'll probably feel a little bit lighter and it probably won't be intense wanting to confront them or anything like that. So that's CBT, is thinking about things in a different way. Um, and some folks, have had a bad experience with CBT where they feel um, it can be kind of invalidating. If let's say you're victimized by somebody and it's, it's real, but you're trying to think about it in a different way, but there's still, um, there's still this, I don't know what to call it, victimization going on. They're still harassing you. Mm -hmm. CBT is not good for that. CBT would not be a, a helpful intervention there. So some people have had a bad experience with it in that way. So I like to clarify with CBTI, we're talking about sleep, sleep science. We do a little bit of changing our thoughts. So what that looks like for sleep is I go to sleep right now, I'll get exactly four hours of sleep. And if I stay up one minute later, then that's one more minute, the more exhausted I'll be tomorrow. Um, that sort of thinking is less helpful than we're humans. We sometimes get horrible night sleep and we survive it. And, you know, I'm working on improving my sleep and it's going to take a little bit of time. That thought is going to be more helpful. So that's the CBT of sleep, but it's, it's not, um, a hundred percent that I'd say maybe five to 10% CBT of the CBTI. So it's confusing because they share a name. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that's, this isn't on the sleep end of things, but um, some of my patients that have tried therapy, I get the common response that it, they say it's not for them. And yeah. I, I say it's like, probably like chiropractic, you probably just haven't found the right type or the right provider for you. You know, there are tons yeah. of different techniques and therapies out there for chiropractors and PTs to use. And um, the, that one type of treatment might simply not have worked for you, or you just didn't mesh well with your provider. That doesn't mean the whole profession as a whole entirety has failed you. And I think definitely yeah. therapists. So yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. I had that a little bit with chiropractors. Um, yeah, there's different modalities, different treatments, different styles, um, and there's a lot of different types of mental health therapy. Mm -hmm. um, it might be helpful if you feel like it wasn't for you. Um, something you could try because I know it can be intimidating to start with a new therapist and you don't know what really went wrong with the last one or what to look for, starting with somebody new can be really intimidating. Um, so something that might be helpful in that case is to learn about therapy modalities. So um, some examples of some stuff you could look up and see if it feels like a good fit. Um, you could take a look at internal family systems, IFS, EMDR, um, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. Um, you could look at CBT, you could look at DBT, 
D as in dog, B, C. Um, and just take a look at them and see if one really clicks and might feel um, like a better modality. You could try with a different therapist with that. Now for, I saw that you have the, the group CBTI, but then also the individual. When you do, I'm guessing when you do the group, it's like we're talking about only sleep here. And then when you do the individual, do you draw in some other uh, therapy type things into their visits? Yeah, that's a great question. So if somebody's coming in and their only presenting concern is sleep, that's it. No depression, no anxiety, no family tension. Um, I would do pure CBT, but I'd say CBTI, I'm sorry. But I would say that's really rare. Most of the time we have something else going on. A little bit of depression, anxiety, family stress, existential dread. <laughs> Most of the time, there's something else going on. So in that case, in the individual, we can weave it in um, and use other modalities um, in order to get the holistic picture. With the group, you're right. We are talking 100% about sleep. And with that, you can have an individual therapist who's either somebody else or me to work on the other stuff or for the folks that just have sleep and that's it. Um, you can just do the group by itself. That's it. So that's interesting. So your group program would also be relevant for people that already have a therapist that they like, and they could do this as well at the same time. That's right. Yeah. And when I ran the group before, uh, my colleagues who referred their clients to the group said, wow, we finally had that breakthrough with the depression. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, finally things, oh, it's starting to move forward because the sleep issue is addressed. So it's a, a six to eight week program, CBTI. And unlikely that a therapist who's working with depression is going to focus 100% on sleep for two months because there's other things to, to look at. But you can have that breakthrough elsewhere. So yeah, I've had um, that feedback from, from colleagues about, ah, finally, <laughs> making some progress. Yeah. So this, the group program is six to eight weeks, or it's eight weeks, right? And then is it, how long are your sessions each week? So it's 60 minutes weekly, and I run it for eight weeks. I like to give a little bit of more time. You can do it in six but I like to have a little more time to work things out. Um, and yeah, it's an hour. And then you're doing a little bit of homework, of course. You're gonna track your sleep every night, what time you got into bed, what time you tried to go to sleep, how long it took you to go to sleep, and so on. Um, so we can track your sleep efficiency. And it's really cool to see because it, it tends to, for the first two weeks, it's really frustrating. We're basically getting a baseline, how things are now. But then over the next several weeks, it's really great to see the progress improve on the sleep diary. Mm -hmm. And the other thing with CBTI is that it tends to last a really long time. 
So um, you're going to learn a lot of skills that you can keep forever. <laughs> With sleep medication, a lot of times it, it wears off or you build a tolerance to it, it doesn't work as well. Whereas the CBTI is really getting to the root of the problem. And so you're likely to see long lasting effects. So it's not like you're going to have to do the CBTI group every couple of years or, um, you know, every however often. It tends to be really effective and last a long time. Nice. Well, that's pretty cool. And then, um, I don't know. I didn't see this on your, I, I think I did see it. It's, you have your prices on your website for it. Yeah. And the, yeah. You do like a, that's per group session, right? Yeah. So it's $53 per group. So the group session and then the individual is just my regular individual rate, which is on the website. Nice. And then people can use their health savings accounts for that. Yeah. 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 You can use your FSA, HSA. Um, I don't take insurance. Some insurance companies allow um, out-of-network benefits, so you'd have to ask them if that's something they do, um, but I'm not in network with any insurance companies. Mm -hmm. Do you provide, like, um, the CPT and ICD-10 codes, like, for people to, like, submit a claim to their insurance company if they wanted to? Yeah, I can provide super bills, yeah, with, the, with that information on it. So, and with your licensure, you work with specifically with people in Pennsylvania, but anywhere in the That's state. correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is by state. So um, they're actually looking at um, doing a reciprocity agreement with other states. Psychologists are able to do this now, where there's 26 states who have made an agreement that if you're licensed in one of these 26 states, then you can see clients anywhere. Um, because again, we are a low touch um, field. We don't need to, we, we talk to you, we do assessments, we do all sorts of things to test where you're at, but none of it requires touching your person. So we're very well, I guess, for um, virtual. But uh, yes, yeah, but for licensed professional counselors, for me, I'm just in Pennsylvania. So mm -hmm. anyone in Pennsylvania uh, would be able to work with you. If not, uh, if you're listening to this and you're outside of Pennsylvania, you can find a CBTI provider. Um, there's a directory. Um, if you just Google CBTI directory, there's a list of people who, who do CBTI if you're interested in it. I didn't think to ask, what made you get the CBTI training? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was in college and I had the worst sleep ever. I did not sleep. <laughs> and then I would sleep during the day, which is a problem because I am trying to take classes. And it was, it was, it was kind of hilarious. I was drinking coffee at like 9.30 at night. <laughs> Terrible sleep. So, uh, so I went to the counseling center uh, at my school, and that was part of the issue. I came and went. I was like, oh, I can't sleep. It's stressing me out. And my therapist, 
at the School Counseling Center told me about CBCI, and we did some CBCI stuff. Next thing you know, I'm sleeping through the night. It was like a miracle. It changed my life. And, uh, and ever since then, it's, it really does last for a long time. Sometimes we all, you know, I'm on my phone at night. I slip up a little bit. But as soon as I implement the strategies again, I sleep well. So, yeah, it came from a really personal place. I'm naturally not a good sleeper, but CBTI helped me a lot. Awesome. Now, in your individual sessions, like when, if you're not dealing, if you're just doing um, your work with your regular clients, patients, um, what techniques do you use with them? Yeah, I tend to take a really person-centered approach, relational. So, um, and I do use a little bit of CBTI when it's when it's a good fit for it. Uh, CBT, I'm sorry, and CBTI. But what it looks like is we are so social, we're so connected to other people. But in our society and our culture today, it's so easy to be very disconnected and to not really um, understand how to have a deep connection with other people. So I'll do a lot of boundary work. Um, I think boundaries are a way of showing someone you care about them. That might sound radical, but if you're taking the time to communicate your needs to someone, that's really powerful. Uh, so boundary work, relationships. Um, it's kind of hard to describe in a quick uh, way like this, but basically how you feel about yourself, how you feel about and connect with other people, and how you feel about and connect with your environment. We're going to look at all of those pieces in sort of a holistic way. Mm -hmm. Okay. That sounds kind of like how I practice with the body in my practice too. So yeah, the holistic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's hard to describe it because for, it's so individual for each person. Mm -hmm. um, the work that you do, I would imagine, is really tailored to the person. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know to have different tools in your toolbox because not every patient is so different and you know if you try something and like with those patients that go one time to therapy and they're like it's not for me well your therapist might have many other tools in their toolbox that you need to try out because maybe that might work for you better you know so like yeah making that clear I guess before while they're in it so that they're not like writing it off immediately for sure but definitely yeah yeah and then the last thing I saw on your website and we had talked about earlier was that you work with different healing specialists to um work on being better serving an all-inclusive community whether it be the um you you can describe it but I, I thought that was very interesting because um, it just helps us get a better idea of how to make everyone feel comfortable in our offices. Yeah, definitely. So I love talking about inclusivity and accessibility. 
specifically with LGBTQ and folks with disabilities. So, um, so those are my two other specialty areas. So a couple of tips for providers, how to help clients, LGBTQ and clients with disabilities feel more included. So for LGBTQ, um, there's a couple of main highlights. One is not assuming that somebody is straight. So if you see somebody come in and say, oh, how's your husband? That is gonna be a signal like, oh, okay, this person is assuming I'm straight. Am I the first, uh, if I come out to them, is it gonna be a whole thing? Uh, mm -hmm. So just, you could ask open-ended questions like, oh, are you seeing anybody right now? Or just not assuming. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, pronouns is another big one. I see a lot of uh, talk about this. So if you don't know what a pronoun is, if I'm not in the room, you would say, oh, she talked about this. It's the way that you speak about somebody else when you don't use the name. So um, asking pronouns can be a helpful way to be inclusive because um, we never know what somebody, what their gender is. You I mean, can't really tell by looking at someone. Um, and then for folks with disabilities, um, having an accessible office is kind of the one that most people think of, wheelchair accessible. Um, but also asking before, if you're doing something with movement or, um, or touch, asking someone if they can do something um, before they do it. For example, if they need to sit on the floor, asking them, is that something that you have a lot of pain doing? Is that something you're comfortable doing? Um, that can be helpful as well. And um, I work a lot with a virtual space, digital accessibility. There's a, um, I did a blog about it. But for virtual accessibility, making sure that um, things have captions, closed captions, and um, that the screen reader, that a screen reader can read them. So if somebody who's blind or no vision, they would use a device that reads it for them. Um, and that can kind of all feel overwhelming. I, I get that feedback a lot. That, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So stressful. But just taking it one thing at a time and just little by little improving over time. Yeah. Um, be helpful. I think that there's been a lot of, as I've gone through, I, I started doing more uh, online stuff and the exercises online, that kind of thing when the pandemic hit, because I don't sit still very well and I had a month off. And um, I've noticed that there are a ton of uh, free apps. Like I use the captions app and it will transcribe things for me up for free up for up till three minutes. So that works well with those shorter things that I do, whether it be on YouTube or TikTok, those kind of things. And um, so that's yeah. really nice that they've come out with those really affordable options and you can edit yourself and that kind of thing because it can be pretty labor intensive to do on your own. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so I have seen some things. It's the longer stuff that is harder to get get in there because transcription back in the day when I started to have someone have your stuff was expensive. But yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some platforms um that allow you to do it. Uh I, we're getting really advanced with speech to text and text to speech. The technology is rocket shipping. <laughs> That's not a word. It's advancing. Um, so there's a lot of ways to um, to do that that are just coming out now. Yeah. Um, there's one descript that I'm gonna take a look at and use. Yeah, and I had used one when I first started that I paid for that did do longer ones. I just remembered this after we had talked called Zub Titles, Z-U-B mm. Titles, and it it will do longer ones for you, but you have to like sign up for so many d transcriptions per whatever monthly period. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. Yeah. One other thing too that can be helpful um, is to ask if folks need accommodations. Is there anything you need? Just setting the norm for that. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be really hard as a solo practitioner if you're in private practice, but even setting aside a really small amount of the budget for accommodations, um, that can be helpful to do as well. Um, it doesn't have to be a lot. And most accommodations don't cost anything. Mm -hmm. Just an adjustment. Well, actually, we just, oh, this isn't an accommodation, but we just switched um, software. It's like our note-taking software, and it just populated itself and has a space for what your pronouns are. So, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that's so great. A lot of folks really benefit from that. Um, the impact of using someone's correct pronouns on their mental health is phenomenal. And the impact of misgendering someone is devastating. Um, so yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. And if somebody just uses the pronouns that you would assume then you just have those pronouns in there. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. And a lot of times in the software we had before, it wasn't very customizable. You just get what you get. It, you know, it sends it out. You can't edit things. And um, so for this new software, I see that they're making changes. It's a newer company. You can make, you can edit things if you want to. It puts stuff like that in there automatically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the technology more and more is, is moving in that direction to make it sort of seamless, including pronouns, um, telehealth platforms are including captions more and more often. Um, yeah, it's really moving in that direction, which is great. Definitely. Well, awesome. Well, I will put Rin's uh, website info below um, in the description and if you have any questions or if you'd like to reach out to her to work with her 
I am going to make her info available at the office because I think that getting more sleep is going to benefit my patients and everybody. Yeah. And if you, I feel like group, the group setting seems less scary, less, you know, you know, one-on-one -on -one seems to be a little more frightening to people at first. So yeah, usually have sometimes have people start with the group setting and be like, okay, I, maybe I have some other things that I need to address and then go on and do other kind of therapy after. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It can take the edge off and ease into it. And the CBCI group, it sort of feels like you're taking a sleep class. Mm -hmm. So if, if it's helpful to think about it, if it feels a little less scary that way, like I'm taking a sleep class and it's homework and everything. So, um, yeah, and I adopt it to all levels. So if a lot of the terms I use are really confusing, don't worry, we break it all down. I won't overwhelm you with technical jargon, but you will leave much more knowledgeable about sleep and how to get a better night's rest. Awesome. All righty. Well, thank you so much. And let me know if anyone has any questions for Rin. Okay. Awesome. So, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to working with you guys. And if you have any topics that you'd like discussed, make sure to comment below and let me know because I'd be happy to share all the knowledge that I have on those issues. <laughs>